Hey, good morning, gang. Good to be here with you again on this Tuesday morning for our continuing series in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, today we're going to look at a um, little smaller passage. Instead of trying to bite off more than we can chew in one day, we're going to try and just do a few verses, but a few power-packed verses, and we'll dissect them for our time today. I uh, hope you've had a good week since I've seen you last Tuesday. Um, by the way, as we do these things, if you ever have questions or anything and I don't see them, um, still feel free to comment with questions or any things, any thoughts that you might have. And I, if I don't see them during the video, which I tend not to, um, I will comment later and I will respond to whatever questions might come up as we're going through this. So, uh, so as I said, we're continuing through Galatians. Now, today and really throughout the rest of the letter, Paul is going to... Uh, shift his emphasis in his writing. And this is a pretty common practice for Paul in most of his letters. You have first uh, sort of a proclamation, proclamation of the bad news or whatever problems the church is dealing with. Uh, usually it's all connected, of course, to you know the fact that we are fallen creatures, we're sinners. Uh, second, there is a clear declaration of the gospel's answer to that problem, all that God has done to uh, save us from our sin problem. And then usually there are, there's a section in his letters of exhortations on, uh, on how we are called to live as people that have been set free and saved by that gospel. Uh, so that's, that's really, that's really sort of the structure of his letters. Now, today we enter into the phase of Paul's letter where he talks about what it means to live as freed people. So uh, what does it mean to live as freed people uh, in light of being saved solely by the grace of God, in light of his constant and continuing mercies that have no end every single day, in light of being completely free from the law's demands to save ourselves at all, well, then what? Do we just do whatever comes to mind at any given moment? Uh, what is? What are we supposed to do? I remember I was working at a movie theater as an usher Years ago, I was probably 19, 20 years old. It was a great gig, man. Free popcorn, free movies, free soda when you're 19. That's all the fringe benefits you need. Uh, but uh, I had a coworker there who I was trying to share the faith with. And uh, and he had known that I, I had gone to Bible college. And uh, and so he wanted to ask me. And I was I told him, I said, listen, the gospel tells you that Jesus died and rose for all your sins. Your works, no matter how good or bad, are forgiven because of his work alone you are freed from having to do anything. And now he simply says, receive it, it's yours. And his response was very natural. He said to me, wait, so all I have to do is believe in Jesus and then I can do whatever I want? I'll still be saved? I said, well, technically, yeah, you're free, yeah. He said, okay, cool. So I'll just go out and sleep with whoever I want and I'll go and kill people and murder them and I'll still be forgiven, is that right? Well, what would you say? I mean, this is the conundrum he's bringing up, right? This is the problem. Oh, no, the gospel frees us. We're all going to act like maniacs. This was the, the fear of Rome during the Reformation. Luther keeps on preaching all this free gospel stuff, and the people are going to get a hold of this, the rabble, and they're going to start acting like complete crazed fools. Well, Paul addresses that today. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, this is what he says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. End of reading. So we maintain, based on verse 12 and many other uh, verses like it in Scripture, that the Christian life is freedom. But according to this passage, it is freedom that is defined. It is freedom in its truest sense. Freedom in its truest sense is never just unstructured anarchy. I mean, you think about it, in everything that's great about the world, in everything that actually is the most liberating, whether it be love or marriage or a great job or raising kids or whatever, there are certain strictures that we place upon ourselves in order to flourish in those areas of life. Freedom ultimately means now seeking to walk in step with the spirit of freedom, and the spirit of freedom is all about love for the neighbor. Again, not for salvation, but because you are already saved. So what does this freedom do for us? Well, first of all, Paul points out freedom is not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to sin. It doesn't have, uh, and this is, listen to the language again of verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, uh, it seems that Paul is constantly dealing with the accusation that the gospel he would be preaching would create a bunch of lawless antinomians reveling in their sin. If you flip over to Romans 6.1, he appears to be responding to that very charge. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sins that the grace may abound? This is my friend's objection. Well, Paul says, verse 2 of chapter 6, by no means. Why not, Paul? He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? The point is, Christian freedom is, is first and foremost freedom from condemnation for sin, but it is also freedom to serve. Freedom to love your neighbor. Uh, is it freedom from uh, the struggle with sin for the rest of your life? No. You're going to, as a matter of fact, I always say, you know, that there's a phrase that I remember hearing when I was younger. You've probably heard it before, too. Um, <clears throat> that you probably heard the phrase, uh, the victorious Christian life. The victorious Christian life. And uh, that brings to mind all sorts of uh, pictures of glory, all sorts of pictures of uh, not struggling with sin anymore. But here's actually what I think the Christian life is. Based on what we read in passages like this, based on what we read in Romans 7, if you want to know what Christian life looks like, it's actually struggle between flesh and spirit. It's struggle with sin. It's not saying, I get to sin because I'm free. That's not, that's what Paul is saying. You, you can't think. You can't, it's not, yay, I can sin. No, that's a terrible use of freedom. It's a terrible use of freedom. Are you going to sin? Yes. That's going to happen. It's going to happen for the rest of your life, as Romans 7 and the rest of this chapter that we'll get to next week makes abundantly clear. So the evidence of a Christian is not somebody who looks like they're victorious. As a matter of fact, the evidence of a Christian is somebody who looks like they're struggling. So 
verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6, Paul anchors this uh, freedom we have in not something that we do, but in something that's been done for us. So if you again flip over to Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, identity means everything. Identity is everything. But when we remember our baptism and what God says about us in that baptism, that we are his children, that we are saved, that we are forgiven, that he has done everything for us and washed us of all our sin, this is what gives us the power to then get on our knees and wash the feet of our neighbor. As Paul says, we are new creations. Go back to Galatians 2 again, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you are freed from, uh, you are freed to get down on your knees and serve your neighbor. Look at verses uh, 14, or look at verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that when Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you would think that he would say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's certainly not denying that. But how do we express love for God? Well, Paul takes the shortcut and just says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we tend to think of freedom, we tend to think of ways in which we might serve ourselves. I, at least I do, I know. Um, especially here. I mean, uh, we in America, we scream if there's even a chance of our rights being violated at all. You know, I mean, we... We take people to court and we sue them for all the things, all the time. Uh, but Paul says, no, no, no. Use your freedom instead to love and serve your neighbor. Freedom actually is best expressed by laying down your life on behalf of your neighbor. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, another Pauline letter. Verse 3. Um, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I've always said this is, this is the most uh, seemingly impossible command. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is, I mean, this is the extent of the law. This is what we're called to do. The most free life is a life lived in service to others without even a thought about receiving anything in return. And this is something that we will struggle with for the rest of our lives. And yet that is what Christ did, and that's what he is working in us. Uh, some of you may have seen the movie About Schmidt. It made like 14 bucks a while back um, with uh, Jack Nicholson. If you haven't, I'm going to give away something in it. It's great. Um, Nicholson plays a just-retired widower who is really, really trying to find a sense of purpose in life. Um, so he buys an RV and he travels a bit, but he, he sees that it just doesn't do much for him. And he goes to visit his daughter for her 
wedding, but whatever delusions of grandeur he has about being near her are dashed because, well, she's just not that into him being there. Uh, and his life is frankly pretty depressing. Uh, the movie's kind of slow and plodding like that. Uh, but for some reason, at some point in the film, he decides to start supporting this orphan child through world vision. So he writes a letter to the child, his name is Ndugu, and sends his uh, donation in each month. And he does this again and again and again with no response. And then finally, at the end of the movie, when his life doesn't seem to be worth really much of anything, he does receive a response from Ndugu. And in that letter, the boy's guardian details to the retired Schmidt, how much his small gift every month has changed this boy's life. And the boy cannot read or write, Schmidt is informed, but he has drawn a picture for him. And in that crayon picture is a little six-year-old Indugu and Jack Nicholson's character holding hands. And it's great because the movie ends, the movie literally ends with Nicholson's character bursting into tears of joy because he was able to experience the joy of serving his neighbor. And so the director's point is, is that really when it all comes down to it, life is most fulfilled when we serve the other. Christ has freed you to do that now, to serve your neighbor with reckless abandon, to serve them even till it stings. Living in the freedom of giving yourself away. Finally, Paul says Christian freedom is freedom in relationships. How can it not be when the first two things we mentioned just now are going on? If one is free to serve, then that means they're free from the envy and the competition and the jealousy and the one-upsmanship that, that typically rules our nature. So he says, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is literally the exact opposite of what Paul has called freedom in the Christian life. And the word biting there actually can be translated snapping. It's like a, it was a term used for like an alligator or a wolf. And evidently this means, I mean, Paul saying this probably means that there were factions in the churches in Galatia because there were sinners in the church then, just like there are now, and that happens all throughout church history. Well, how can this biting and devouring take place? Oh, you name it gossip and criticism and negativity and, you know, you name it. You've heard it. You've been around it. If you've been in a church, you've seen it. I mean, it, you know, it, whatever um, whatever vision of the church being a perfect society one has in their mind, all they have to do is spend a little time with the church to realize it ain't that. Uh, as a matter of fact, all they have to do is spend a little time with themselves and realize it ain't that. We're not nearly as sanctified as we wish we were. So, all that being said, there are some who I'm sure are listening to this or watching this right now, and you're thinking, um, <laughs> I don't feel very free, Eric. Um, does that mean, because I, I, I still struggle with this stuff, that I'm, that I'm not caring for my neighbor the way I am, if I'm, or the way I should, if I'm honest, if, uh, does that mean that I haven't been born again? Does that mean I haven't been saved? Does that mean that this wasn't a real conversion because I still find myself acting selfishly rather than serving and I don't always get along well with others? Well, 
No, it doesn't mean that. Again, Paul anchors everything in things that are objective. Remember your baptism. You're not alone. Every one of us still struggles every single day to walk in the freedom we've actually been given. So then what do you do? Well, you know, there's a rhythm to this thing. The Apostle John tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, that's where real freedom takes place. Every day acknowledging you still need Jesus, but and that he's faithful to, to meet you there. To acknowledge that he's already done everything necessary for your salvation. Spending that time every day with him, just acknowledging that you still need him to empower you and to strengthen you. As my friend Dan says, he refuses to believe in a Christianity that just wants to make people look like they don't need Jesus anymore. And that's exactly right. You still need Jesus just as much today as you did when you first met him in the waters of baptism because he is your strength, he is your power, and he is ultimately the one that declares you free. All right, gang, that is it for this week. Um, <clears throat> we will see you next week as we really, I mean, next week's passage really goes over the simul, um, which is this doctrine of being simultaneously saint and sinner and uh, what that actually will look like as we uh, walk in this life. So hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week. God bless. Thanks for watching.